Hello everyone, this is Troy Gent, your Ghost Turd Stories host. My guest this week is Joe Erb. Joe served as an Air Force active duty doctor from 2004 to 2011. He did his officer training school, or OTS, in Montgomery, Alabama. Joe joined the Air Force because of his sense of patriotism and to avoid medical school debt. Joe deployed to Afghanistan in 2008 where he treated U.S. troops and Afghan nationals. He also served as a staff surgeon during his time on active duty. Joe's favorite part about his service in the Air Force was the people. Joe is now an empty nester with his wife and works as a doctor at our local hospital. Hello everyone and welcome to Ghost Turd Stories. I'm your host, Troy Gent. Ghost Turd Stories' mission is using humorous stories from veterans and first responders to reduce the burden of families whose veteran or first responder committed suicide. Ghost Turd Stories' vision is to use humor from veteran and first responder stories to prevent suicide within our ranks and reduce the burden of families whose veteran or first responder committed suicide. We hoped to attract veterans and first responders as well as those interested in knowing more about what it's like to be in our shoes while we wear or wore those shoes. Hello everyone, this is Troy Gent, your host of the Ghost Turd Stories podcast. My guest today is Joe Err. Welcome, Joe. How hey. are you? I'm outstanding. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, your veteran status and... Okay, well, uh, I entered, uh, I did my officer's training back in the summer. It was in June of 2000. And afterwards, I went to medical school. So that would be 2000 to 2004. And after graduating from medical school and went back, I went, well, not back, but for my first time to active duty during residency and then uh, an additional four years after that, so total seven years uh, of active duty. I did one deployment from 07 to 08 in Afghanistan and separated in August of 2011. And we moved here to be near you, I guess, in Utah. All right. So you went to it's OTS in the Air Force, right? Officer Training School? That's correct. Okay. So you went to OTS first and then went to med school. That's right, which is kind of, uh, I don't know if that's the best way to do it. Because by the time you get to active duty time, you really don't have active duty experience and you have, and your officer's training was four years prior to your active duty status. Okay. So there's not a lot that you remember. So you think it'd be better to go to med school first and then OTS and that way you carry into the Air Force what you learned at OTS. It, it seems ideal. My best guess, though, is when you enter medical, medical school, you're on inactive reserve status. So in order to get on that status, you probably have to check that box. Okay. So it's probably an administrative box, uh, yeah. but it's less than ideal. During your medical school, you have a couple of rotations. Usually you have two or three where you can go active duty and try to rotate somewhere at a military hospital so that you can kind of gauge your interest and their interest in you and your interest in that program. But I joined before 911, and so after 911, they canceled those. Funding and, and active duty and, and the war and all that stuff was going on by then. So things changed. So I got one of those. So I guess my point being that you may have some additional active duty time normally that we didn't get either. But needless to say, by the time you show up, for active duty, after all that, you're ill-prepared. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought it was funny that your brother recruited you, but he did not tell you what you were getting yourself into when it came to OTS. Tell us about that. <laughs> That's true. My, I, my brother was, at the time, uh, in the Air Force. He was an Air Force recruiter, and he was specifically recruiting Air Force physicians. So basically, to get that, it's a scholarship. It's a health profession scholarship. So you get into medical school first and then you apply and that's exactly what I did. So I got in and after you get in, you say, well, how are we going to pay for it? So my wife and I thought, well, military time sounds good. Well, we'll try that. So you had the option after you were accepted to med school to then decide how you're going to pay for it. That's right. Oh, okay. So after that, I mean, I could go traditional. I could just take out debt, but we already had two kids. 
and I was older than most, I was 30, we thought it just sounded appealing to us. It's even better now. I think they pay them a stipend every month now, and they pay them a signing bonus. For those going things. through school. Yeah, for Thanks sure, for but that wasn't present okay. for me. Um, but my brother was a recruiter, so I applied. Uh, I did it through him. He was living. We were in Southern California. He was recruiting over there, so it was convenient. And when I got in, I asked him, well, what, what's going to happen uh, at officer's training? And he said, well, for you uh, guys, it's not that bad. You know, you're going <laughs> to, you know, he, he was an enlisted guy. So he said, you guys are going to show up and they're going to teach you how to wear your uniform and salute and stuff like that. And it's like six weeks long. And so I thought, well, okay, that doesn't sound that's too bad. That's all he told you. That's all he told me. <laughs> but to be, to be fair, that's what he believed. Yeah, that's what he believed. That's okay. what he believed because that's what it sounded like the pattern had been prior to my there year. Was a, there was a miscommunication because he was a, re, a enlisted recruiter and really for OTS you need an officer recruiter. No, right? no, he was an officer's recruiter, but oh, okay. the training changed. Okay. But he was unaware, and I guess all of the recruiters were unaware, that that year that I went, they decided, and, and I, I totally get it. They thought these uh, medical officers are lousy. So we need to train them more uh, aggressively. So they went with, it sounded like what they went with was the typical inline officers program. Except their program's 12 weeks long and, and ours is six. Mm -hmm. So trying to cram 12 weeks of training into six weeks. Were you with probably the 12 week work. group or was it a separate? separate so we were, we were separate from them. Yeah, okay. But needless to say, I had no idea what was gonna happen when I got there. So when I walked up there, uh, that morning, I can't remember what day it was, the week it was. I'm guessing it was Monday, but I have no idea. It was in Alabama? It was in Alabama, oh, Montgomery, right. Alabama. I guess while well, I was just wandering on the base trying to find out where I'd be training. <laughs> and I went to the gym. I remember I showed up the night before training, and I went to the gym, and there was some guy working out there, and he was a doctor. He, was, he wasn't in training. He was already done with medical school. He was a radiologist. I remember this guy, this dude looked at me and he goes, hey, what are you here for? And I told him, I'm, I'm here to do uh, officer's training for med school. And he says, well, I just still remember him looking at me and saying, get out now while you can. So, <laughs> so I thought, it seems so weird know? to me that you just kind of meandered on base because in the Marine Corps, it was like, get on the airplane, get on the bus. This is even, even officer training. It was, everything was as a group, like you knew yeah. exactly what group you were with the whole way. You yeah, know? that's yeah, true. So. Well, that's the difference though. When I, when I, if you, if I, we go farther down the road, when you deploy, we, we kind of had some people from the base, but we picked up different people as we stopped along the path. And then we ended up in Afghanistan. So okay. Marines and army, you guys are different. You, you deploy as a whole unit yeah. you come home as a unit. And I think that there, in a lot of ways that's better. But for a lot of us, we are kind of individuals out there doing a job. Okay. So I think that maybe the, so I didn't even think of that, but maybe the training. There's part of your training. <laughs> well, I don't know if that, I mean, but they're, you know, we, they separated into flights and, and a squadron for training purposes, but it really wasn't defined until, you know, you get there the night before. But I'm walking out there. I don't know what I was wearing, probably a pair of khakis and a t-shirt or something thinking, okay, what's going to happen? And I just remember it was hot and there was a big flat area of pavement and a bunch of guys getting yelled at and standing at attention. And I thought... So you were watching this from a distance. Yeah, right. Or like as you're walking, walking up, up to it. Okay. And I thought, I'm in the wrong place. I, I, I remember thinking, <laughs> I think I'm in the, in the inline officers training. I'm in the wrong group. So you thought you were going to the 12, the 12 week I thing. I thought I was going to the 12 week thing. Okay. And so I thought, well, it, there's no one there to ask. And so as I wandered up there, they can see that you're looking at them. <laughs> and your flight training officers kind of, you know how they are. They just attack you. They, and, and you're trying to ask a question like, hey, where do I go for training? And they just start yelling at you to get in line. And before you know it, you're in line. And before you know it, they, you know, they have the blue line, symbolic of leaving your civilian life yeah. behind. And you, and you stand at attention. And they all yell at you, and you step over the blue line, and you get your head shaved. Even as they were shaving my head, I kept thinking, I, th I believe, I am I in the right place? <laughs> so my head is shaved, and we're going through all this, and they give you a, a book, and you're memorizing all the things they want you to memorize. Yeah. And, and um, pair it back to them. But 
it took me uh, probably most of that first day to figure out if I was even in the right place. And then training after that, a lot of push-ups, a lot of yelling, a lot of marching. Doesn't sound at least like it was the status quo for the years prior to that. But so I went home and told my brother, you were way off, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so you got, uh, got to the group and then they pulled you in. And so what were some of your most memorable experiences during OTS? What I remember most, I mean, it's what, 20, 24 years ago now, but just a lot of push-ups. I remember that they, there's just absolutely nothing you can do right. It doesn't matter what you say or what you do. It won't be right. For example, I go up there. I don't remember why they were yelling at me, and there was some reason. They can only make us do 10 push-ups at a time. You probably didn't have restrictions on push-ups. No, I don't remember. <laughs> but, they, but there's no restriction on how you can only do a push-up when they give you the command to go down or so you're up. holding it for 10 minutes. Correct. So they can, <laughs> there's no limit on how long it takes you to do those push-ups. Yeah. And so I, I went down there for something and some guy was yelling at me and uh, he told me to do push-ups. So when I jumped into push-up position, my back foot landed on one of the flight training officer's boots. So I got in trouble for that. So I got more push-ups. So you're doing push-ups, but you, you're acquiring more. So can they, can they make you do 10 and then they say run away and then you, you run away and then snoke come back and you can do 10 more? <laughs> they could. They, I guess they could do whatever they want. Yeah. But, uh, but mostly they just make you take forever to do push-ups and then they give you more push-ups. You would always leave with more push-ups than you came with. Yeah. At least at the beginning of training. And you'd have to kind of work them off, I guess. But um, then after making me do push-ups really slow and multiple sets of them, then they were yelling at me for breathing too hard. <laughs> so I, I thought it was interesting I, like, there's literally nothing I can do right but I think that's the point you know um, mm -hmm. that they kind of break you down and, and try to build you up as a team and all that stuff but there was and I also thought it was interesting that there's only a few things you can do wrong you know there was, it seemed like there were only three things everything every problem that you had would chunk down into one of three categories like if you lost your cool, then you lost your military bearing or, you know. So they would have only so a certain amount of things you could do wrong as well. Okay. So um, did you do any weapons training in OTS or marching? Oh, gosh. Or, or uh, we did a lot of marching. Uh, we didn't do weapons training then. I, I had to certify in a 9 millimeter before I deployed, but back then we didn't. Uh, I don't recall doing any weapons training, but a lot of marching. We marched everywhere we went. Um, it took a while to kind of get that down. Not sure we ever did great at it, mm -hmm. uh, but we did a lot of that. Remember, we we go down to the chow hall. We'd march there, and uh, you had a certain amount of time to eat. So everybody in this six-week class, there were going to be either dentists, doctors, or... Right. Is that it? Just the two? Uh, healthcare professions. So, yes, actually. I Pretty think that would be about right, dentists and doctors. So... Or, or already were. There are a few of them that came on and already were through with training. They were already physicians. Okay. So they would come in as majors. They decided to come in the Air Force. Right. They might be a major. It's because I think they would take their civilian years towards their rank at wow. that point. So some of them, and they, they would be our leaders. I was a lieutenant then during training. In fact, one time I remember we were in the chow hall and I had my hat off. You always have to have cover, right? Everywhere mm -hmm. you go. And uh, I put a hat on, went back. You're trying desperately not to get noticed by the flight training officers. And I could see this guy eyeballing me. And I was just trying to have that 100-yard stare and try to pretend <laughs> I didn't know. And then there were a couple of them eyeballing me. And then one of them's coming my way. And he comes up and starts yelling at me. And he's saying, I'm just curious. Are you a lieutenant or are you a captain? <laughs> and I'm thinking, why, why is this dude yelling at me? And like, I'm a captain or I'm, I'm a lieutenant, sir. And he said, well, then why are you wearing a captain's hat? So I obviously I had grabbed the wrong hat. <laughs> so I had to go back and find my hat and just stuff like that. You did, know? Uh, did the camaraderie because you were all going to become doctors and, or dentists, was it pretty tight knit? I mean, everybody was pretty focused on helping each other and getting through and how did that all how did that that dynamic work our flight was good we were keel flight and we had a really nice group everybody was helpful but at the same time i mean after completing that everybody over the next few weeks went to medical school 
and I never saw any of them again. I mean, I saw, I don't know. I mean, we were tight then, but, yeah, but sure. we didn't stay connected. I, I felt really anxious because I was about to start medical school and I was kind of on a non-traditional track because I was older. The average age for most of these medical students is 23, maybe 24, and just, I was 30. Just after a bachelor's degree, basically. Right, yeah. so they do that. I, and I was older and I had two kids, and now I was thinking, I've committed to military time, so, and I'd been out of school for a while. Hadn't been in classes in my undergrad, had been done maybe three years or something before that. Mm -hmm. I just felt really anxious about uh, medical school and what if I can't do it? What if I'm not good enough? What if I can't get through? So that kind of hung over me then. And then of course you're uh, coming back, I'm packing up my stuff and we're driving out to Missouri. When you were in med medical school, the Air Force was paying for it. Mm -hmm. You were in active reserve, so you weren't getting paid a salary. I did not get a salary, no. So you talked about earlier how they're doing that now. Well, I don't know that it's not a salary, it's maybe a stipend. Stipend. So a little different. Okay. It's, not, it's not as much as a salary would be, but I think the biggest difference for these students coming out now is signing bonus. Yeah, yeah. How did you provide for your family while you were in school? We still took out debt. Yeah. Okay. So we had two more kids in medical school. We had four by the time we were done. And we just took out, you know, living in Missouri up there, it was cheap. We probably took out about 20,000 a year or less. I think we came out with about $77,000 debt after all was said and done. Okay, it's a lot cheaper than what would pay for medical school yourself. You're looking at what, three, 400,000? Yeah, probably three yeah. or 400,000. Depends on, and if you have a bunch of kids, it could be, Closer to four hundred thousand, probably. So you, you at least saved yourself a, a lot of trouble. You paid that off pretty quick, or? Well, yeah. I mean, no, I didn't. My interest rate was one point nine percent, so I wasn't super interested in okay. paying it back. <laughs> um, I had other priorities. We didn't buy a home till we separated, so that wasn't mm -hmm. a big priority. But you don't get paid a lot, you know, when you're a captain and you've got a family of six. It's you got to be really careful about how you, your spending practices. Yeah. Yeah. So I've heard the argument by some doctors that say, well, if I went in the military and had them pay for it, then I'm getting paid military salary when I could be out getting paid doctor salary if I would have done it myself and I'll just pay off the extra debt a lot quicker. In your perspective, are you happy you did it the way you did it? Besides, if you take out the whole patriotism thing and all that, <laughs> are you happy you did it the way that you did it? Financially, just yeah. from a financial uh, perspective? I don't know if it makes sense financially for me, but we really enjoyed our time in the military. You know, okay. socially, you know, from the job, from the training, I felt like my training was excellent. Being doing a military residency, so I wouldn't I wouldn't change any of it. It's always hard to change something. I think in hindsight, but sure. I'm I say financially, yeah. After residency, you start to get in, in when you're credentialed, when you're fully a licensed physician you make more money too. Your salary doesn't go up per se, but they start to give you bonuses every year. Mm -hmm. So it's not terrible. During that residency time, it's pretty slim. My son's finishing medical school and he tells me that residents outside the military are making more money now than they used to. That's probably not true in the military, but for those guys outside the military now, the compensation's a little higher during residency. And it's definitely better outside residency. But it's not, I don't think that the gap is as big as people think that it is. Sure. Uh, so explain now, after you went through medical school, what you did for the Air Force before your deployment and then during your deployment and how you treated people and that kind of thing. Sure. So my uh, residency started June of 2004. So you show up and I remember we had to report to the colonel that was over the residency. I didn't have blues. We didn't really wear blues once the war started. By the way, I joined the year before that. <laughs> I joined 2000. in 2000, yeah. and in 2001, 911 happened. And I remember thinking, coming out of a test and seeing that the, the towers go down and thinking, oh man, I'm gonna go to war. And after that, we just didn't wear blues. We just wore battle dress uniforms. But anyway, I had to report in blues, so I had to go buy some stuff, but so I didn't know what to buy. So blues are your dress blue uniform. Mm -hmm, okay. Mm -hmm. It's a blue 
polyester shirt, okay. <laughs> blue polyester pants. I didn't know what to buy, so I, I went down to the store. We arrived the day before I had a report. I bought some epaulets and whatever I thought I was supposed to have. In hindsight, she didn't care, but I didn't know that. I showed up, and the first thing, she, she just walked up to me, and she said, and I had really had much interaction since my flight training officers were yelling at me, and she said, you're wearing ladies' epaulets. <laughs> introduction. <laughs> so I had picked the wrong ones. <laughs> so that was my... <laughs> My first day of active duty. You're wearing ladies' helmet. That's hilarious. So anyway, and you you had gone the day before and bought those. Yep. At the at the PX or whatever the I base did. store. Yep. Oh my god. They were wrong ones. I didn't know. I did not know. So. <laughs> but then when you're a resident, uh, you start and you get your residency mates. So there, we start with ten of us. So the residency is three years. The first year is called inter internship. Then you have a second year resident and a third year resident. So it was um, just a lot of guy medicine, a lot of hours. You probably work, I bet I averaged 100 hours a week on when I was on medicine rotations, yeah. inpatient medicine. So you get to know those people that this you're three in the years. trenches with. Yeah, those yeah. people you, you get to know. Because <laughs> when you start with those 10, and then we were down to seven because we kind of washed out three of them. So they just kind of went the way of the dodo and left. Well, I don't know whatever happened. To the, the, or, right, I don't know. Okay. They weren't with us. So they, I don't know if they went back to medicine later. Uh, we just had a few of them where these things did not work out well for yeah. them. in resident. And that's true, civilian or non-civilian. It just happens. So we lost three, we we're down to seven. And, but those seven people, you get really tight with. So you pull for each other, you help each other. With these, you, you were with these seven people for three years. For three years. Three years. You're working a lot of hours with those guys. Yeah. Women, we had about half, you know. Do you have any uh, uh, stressful moments, like tense? Yeah. Any conflict in there? We were up in Northern California. That includes UC Davis. That includes Martinez County Hospital and those places. And there's just a lot of intense moments in residence. So even though you're in the Air Force, you're working basically to get experience in the civilian sector. The hospital that we have is great for certain things, but it can't train you in everything. Yeah, so they got so to they, outsource you. Right, you got to outsource okay. it. So they have these agreements with UC Davis and Martinez County Hospital and Santa Clara. And so we go outside to get some of these other experiences. Because you guys are in your residency, is it beneficial to those hospitals to have you? Or is it like, oh, we got to train more people? And it's like, eh. So you're like in the way, maybe the first year kind of a thing, but they're training you because they have an agreement? Or how does that work? I don't know how it works financially. Okay. <laughs> but help is help, I guess. Interns aren't super helpful, but you probably get more helpful for them by the time you're second or third sure. year. Your first months of your first year, that's the worst. Lots of mistakes. Right, right. Yeah, you say mistakes or you just don't know what you're doing. Yeah. So that's when you need the most oversight. And so they're probably not super enamored about having a, <laughs> a, an intern on their first month mm -hmm. uh, of their training being be with you. And I'm sure that was the case at Martinez County. I went there my first month and it was... There's just not a lot of oversight, so you just felt like you were on your own a lot. I remember my first shift there. It took me forever to work up things that really would seem trivial to me now, but I just didn't know what I was doing. And there was some guy that had a seizure, so I ordered some Dilantin, it's just anti-seizure medication. Okay. But I wrote the loading dose, and he got the loading dose all night. So instead of just once... <laughs> He got it. <laughs> and this dude, when I went there, I remember going, it was like July 4th or something. I went in there because you know, it was a holiday. And uh, This is the next morning? The next morning. <laughs> this little teeny dude. I mean, skinny little dude. I just see stuff flying out of his room like a mattress. <laughs> and he was bonkers, man. So it's stuff like that. It was just kind of like... When did like, they figure that out? Oh, about when we saw that, I talked to the pharmacist. Okay. Oops, you know, but that, <laughs> he got up. I hadn't seen him out of bed for a long time, but he got up that day. <laughs> we had this. Uh, how did that, how did the loading dose, why did that create that? 
that condition in him why oh it just kind of it made him a little psychotic and agitated so the loading dose would have just calmed his seizures down but the fact right. that he was getting it all night right just, boom okay. way too much for this little dude uh. i felt so bad there was a homeless shelter across the street so they these homeless people would just come back and forth they kind of come to the hospital live there for a while and then they go back to the shelter and the residents there knew knew them all by name and there was some women on my first week there withdrawing from alcohol and so she just creeped me out because I'd, I'd go in there about round at like four or five in the morning and she just looked like a zombie to me and she was completely out of her mind and she tried to grab me and I so it scared me I'd have to go do a, an exam on her but I kind of sneak up on her while she was sleeping and try to do my exam. So I was afraid she would just like grab me and pull me in, in bed with her. <laughs> so you have those kind of experiences um, down at, I remember my first day at UC Davis rotating over there, the ER doc comes up to me, he was attending, he tells me. So there was a patient that came in and he got a foreign object in a very awkward place. Obviously that he put there. Yeah. And so he tells me this guy has this thing in his butt and I need you to go in there and see if you can get it out. And so I'm like, well, how long has it been in there? And he says like three days or something. Obviously he's embarrassed and he didn't want to. Do come they in. know what it is yet? Oh, do, does the patient or the doctor? The doctor. Oh, he knows exactly would what they it is. They x-rayed him or were they? Yeah, well, I think they probably had done an exam and everything's okay. kind of worked out by then. My job as the intern was to try to get it out. <laughs> so I went in there and I just, I gowned up, put a face shield on. I just went in there like ready. <laughs> <laughs> so I went in there and this dude was sitting there on the side. I felt so bad for him. Right away, the first thing he tells me is, I'm so sorry you have to do this. This is just something my, my, my wife really wanted to try. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm just here to get it out, you know. Don't tell me that. Like, <laughs> Don't tell me that. Well, I go over there and I, I put some of those clamps on it and I just try to t gently kind of see if I can loosen this thing up. And I, I look and it just, it's cracked and there's tissue stuck in between it. And I realized right away, there's no way this thing is coming out without surgery. Yeah. So I go back. I say, hey, I'm really sorry. I can't get this thing to kind of move. And I'll, we'll, we'll see what we can do. Go back to the ER attending. I've been doing that forever, right? He's probably the age I am now. And I said, hey, I can't get that thing out. And he tells me, let me guess. He said his wife put him up to it, right? <laughs> I'm like, how did he know? So, yeah, I mean, it would just Not kind of... Not the first time. Yeah, well, yeah. he had seen that same variety of patient probably yeah. multiple times, and they probably had the same story. But so you never found out what it was? I, well, I know what it was. We all can see it sticking <laughs> out. I mean, we know what it was. <laughs> what was it? A dildo. Oh, a dildo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. It was a foreign object in an awkward place. Okay. And it was pink, by the way. Most of my time was spent doing medicine and all that. And um, we had these uh, trauma patients that would come in. And one of the trauma surgeons says, all these trauma patients are here for the same reason. And I said, what do you mean? He said, if you ask them why they're here, they'll all say, I was minding my own business when these two dudes came along. And so I thought that was funny because it's true. Like every, every single trauma guy I talked to had the same kind of one-liner. What, what happened to you? Well, I was minding by my own business when these two dudes <laughs> came along. So now, was it, does that mean they were lying? Or well, it? I presume, unless they're the so, same two dudes. You so they know? want to d d divert uh, <laughs> responsibility to somebody else, or are they... Actually, was it actually two dudes? I don't know. You know. I mean, maybe it was two dudes. Never, okay. Maybe it's the same two dudes. Everybody. <laughs> well, I mean, if you could stop these two dudes, you could find out who they are. You could stop all the bad things in the world. Yeah. Uh, but the thing I thought was funny was when I got to Afghanistan and we started seeing trauma there, same story. You know, they, you see these army guys come in. They have some sort of trauma from a convoy and you could say, hey, what's going on? And they say, look, we were minding our own business on this convoy. <laughs> and I said, too. oh my gosh, they're in Afghanistan too. <laughs> the same two dudes are everywhere, it turns out. Yeah. 
they were in Afghanistan. They were in Northern California. They're probably involved. Anyways, that's, I thought that was like same story. That's same funny. story. So the end of your res- residency is the end of your med school, basically. Well, the med school yeah. and med school's over. Residency is a secondary training for your specialty. The graduation for from your residency is that in the civilian world too, or just the military? Both. Okay. I mean, you, when you graduate from your residency, it it's a military residency, but you're completing the national requirements. Yeah. Those requirements certify you to sit on the boards to take your national boards. So once you're done with that, they can certify that you've completed the residency. Then you can sit on your boards, take the boards. Now you're fully certified. Okay. And so once that was done, the, the first thing I did was deploy. And, um, you know, I went to Afghanistan. So in Afghanistan, you treated U.S. casualties? And then Afghan nationals as well? Correct. And also any civilians that we harm. And some charity cases. So, What are some of your most memorable experiences in Afghanistan? Well, first of all, it takes forever to get there. You don't just fly to Afghanistan, yeah. right? Uh-huh. So, I think our transition <laughs> was about six days or something, five days. It takes, yeah, yeah. you go one place, you go to, and then you go yeah. to... Uzbekistan or something and you sit around and I don't honestly remember a lot of getting over there except when we flew into Afghanistan and at some point the pilot says you have now entered the war zone I say well that's an interesting thing to hear you know (laughs) (laughs) so for me I've been so busy preparing to deploy and out process my family I hadn't thought a lot about what I was going to do when I got there so I pulled out a piece of paper and a pencil and I just wrote down goals. I wrote down fitness goals. I wrote down professional goals, like how can I improve as a physician? How can I make myself better, in other words, in all these multiple domains by being there? And so when I landed, I thought, well, professionally, this is, this is a unique opportunity to be a physician in a deployed setting. I'm not a surgeon. I'm not a, certainly not really trauma trained. Uh-huh. But there's a lot of it there, and there's a lot of physicians that are. After landing, you know, kind of march out the back, and I went and I met the, we called them trauma czar. Uh, leftover, I guess, from Russia, but okay. he's a trauma <laughs> surgeon. He's a trauma surgeon. Mm-hmm. And the guy was great. His name was Al Philp. He was just, he was an awesome dude. And Civilian? No. All of these are military doctors, okay. all of them. Most of our uh, trauma surgeons come from Baltimore Shock Trauma. That's where he came from. And I told him on the first day, I said, look, I'm, this is who I am. I'm right out of residency. I'm really interested in this. I, I've done some ICU stuff. I'm interested in doing ICU medicine. Because originally when you're assigned to go, you, you, they just kind of mix and match your talents and yeah. interests and kind of see where they can use you. So I was going to be in clinic, but he found me after the like first or second day, he came and found me and said, hey, we lost a guy that was gonna work in here. We're, gonna, we're rotating him somewhere else. Can you kind of come in and do ICU? And I said, sure. And so he kind of showed me how, to, how he manages the vents with these trauma cases. And so I spent my deployment working in the intensive care unit. So patients basically that are ventilated and then the other side of the hospital. So this is after their initial treatment? Right. So they put them in ICU to like help them start the recovery process? Right. Okay. Well, because they're critically ill. Yeah. So these, these patients all have respiratory failure, inhalational injuries, burns, something like that mm-hmm. that might damage their lungs. Or they have extensive trauma, so they're going in and out of the operating room every, every day or two okay. to get washed out and to get other surgeries. So they leave them on a ventilator. The U.S. troops that come in don't stay very long. They, they may be there a matter of hours. So they, when they come in to us, this is Bagram Air Base. When they come into Bagram, they get clean lines. They get their wounds washed. They might get some additional surgery. And right away, they're calling up a plane to fly them out to Germany. So they get yeah. flown out to Germany hours after they're you know, with us. And they, they're flown to each location by a critical care air transport team. These trauma patients, these are wounded warriors, they don't... They don't stay very long in any one facility until they're back in the U.S. Okay. So if they're alive, in other words, when they get to us, they're almost certainly going to make it. Very rarely that they won't make it. Okay. 
So you were a lot of people that were in the IC were, were Afghan. Uh, yeah, the ones that stay right are Afghans. And, and, so uh, they could be well, they're Afghan nationals. Yeah. Or civilians, or they're enemy combatants. Okay. So we have some of those too, and uh, those dudes, you never, they're kind of wake up hot, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like they come out of their anesthesia and they'll kick you and hit you and all kinds of so stuff. So the, the the combatants, they're just. They're ready to go once they realize they're, they're ready still to go. alive, basically. That's right. Wow. So did you have to restrain any, or did you? Absolutely. Yeah. Guy, my first, uh, one of the general surgeons there, I was standing next to him, and one of these guys, one of these enemy combatants, wakes up and kicks a nurse, or kicks out a nurse. I don't remember, but he got a little nuts. Yeah. And he turns to me and he says, do you know the hyoid maneuver? And I didn't know what he was talking about, you know. So. Was he speaking English? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so he grabs the dude by the neck and puts, um, slams him back in bed and then pushes oh, some the, propofol. The, the, the doctor. Yeah, the doctor says that. that. No, no, not the patient. The doctor <laughs> says that to me. This was the other uh, surgeon that I was with. So. so he basically choked him out. Well, he didn't choke him out. He just, put, him he just put him back in bed. He wasn't yeah. actually choking him. He just But yeah. the hyoid bone is the one right under here. And that's when I think, wow, this is a weird place to practice medicine, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> you got you got a guy waking up and trying to kill your nurse, uh-huh. and you're trying to put him back in bed, and so mo- mo- at that point you wouldn't need physical restraints because you have chemical restraints. Mm-hmm. You, know? you put him down with medicine. So I started. I trained in the ICU. One of the guys I worked with was an anesthesiologist, so we would mark syringes with different medications and how many milligrams per mL, so you know when you were pushing it how much to push and how much you were giving him. Mm-hmm. And you would get some ketamine, some Versed, and some Vecuronium, which is, Vecuronium is like uh, what you think of as a paralytic, but it lasts about an hour. So, and then they're pretty much instantaneous? They work pretty quick, that's yeah. right. And uh, yeah, just a crazy place, man. Yeah. My first impression though, the first thing that I thought of after arriving and coming out of the plane and looking around is like, um, a scene from The Three Amigos. Have you ever seen that movie? Long time ago. Long time ago. So, you know, the plot is these guys, there's these three guys and they're performers. There's a small town in Mexico that thinks they're actually cowboys. Yeah. That they're not, you don't know, they don't know they're performers. They just see them on film. So they hire them to come and fight some bad guys. And the whole first part of the movie, they're under the impression that they are going to this small town in Mexico to perform. And this other dude shows up, Senior Guapo, and all the, all the bad guys, and they go out. And they they're there to fight, but these other three amigos are there to perform. <laughs> and so they they shoot one of them, Steve Martin, and he doesn't know he's been shot at first. And after a while, so he's upset, and he goes over and starts yelling at Senior Guapo. And at some point it dawns on him that the whole thing's real. And he said, so he goes back to his friends and they say, well, what's going on? He says, this whole thing is real. They said, what do you mean? Those guys over there, they're going to kill us. <laughs> and so <laughs> you just had, just had that scene in my mind, you know, because it's so surreal to be in an area where everybody, I go down the chow hall and there's some kid with a uh, grenade launcher or whatever, you know, yeah, yeah. and everybody's got guns and everybody, <laughs> right? I have a gun. Everybody's got a gun. And you're just like, and people are driving tanks and Humvees up and down the road. And you're, mm-hmm. man, this is a weird place. And I just, for some, whatever reason, that clip just kept on going through my mind, you know, yeah. just such a surreal experience. One of the interesting things about the population there was everyone had, had worms. When you think about it, most of the population of the world really has worms. We're just not used to that. But um, What's the percentage in America, do you know? I have no idea what it would be. Not we don't even high. have those kind of worms yeah, here. Yeah. I mean, we have like pinworms. And uh, by the way, only... I guess only, we just have ac- such access to doctors. If we feel a problem, we go see a doctor and they take care of the worm or whatever, right? Bingo. Not only that, you so can get over the counter. You don't even yeah. have to see a doctor to yeah. treat pinworms. By the way, uh, everybody blames their pets, but pinworms are only passed from human to human okay just so you know <laughs> you don't have to blame your pets so but over there they have these ascaris worms that are they look like earthworms and they're super common the locals would have them we had a patient that got a, they had a gunshot wound to the belly and a worm crawled out there was a small hole in the bowel 
but the worm had crawled out. And so the surgeon, that surgeon named him Bra- <laughs> Braveheart the Worm. He said he just wanted to be free. <laughs> I said, why did you name him Braveheart? Because he just wanted to be free. I had two times though, you know, you, an endotracheal tube is a tube that you put down in a patient to allow them to breathe when they're on a ventilator. Yeah. That's what the air exchange, gas exchange, air exchange goes through. Twice had a worm crawl out of that tube. Wow. Twice. <laughs> and so haven't done a study, but it's got to be a bad sign when your parasites are bailing, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and we had one tapeworm, an ostomy that just wouldn't drain. And our trauma surgeon put his finger in and pulled out a tapeworm. And it was like six feet long. Jeez. Um, six feet. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And uh, just sometimes there were times and you could just scroll through the CT scan and just see worms. So you think, well, what did you do, Joe, about your worms, right? You were there. So I think, well, when we left, we all took a shot of deworming medication. It's okay. that liquid medication called Mebendazole. We all took a shot of that. Kills, and decided, kills everything. Yeah, absolutely. We thought, well, that was our big going out, I guess, a shot <laughs> we took, you know, before you left the country was the Mebendazole. I've been using Isagenics since 2017. These products have made a world of difference in my quality of life, health, energy, muscle definition, strength, and endurance. My bread and butter products have been the daily essential multivitamins with Isagenesis, which is a telomere support supplement, the Isolane meal replacement shake, the Tri-Release protein shake, the collagen, the green drink, and the Cleanse for Life support system. However, Isagenics has many products and can cater to your unique lifestyle and goals. Click the link in the show notes or visit nmp.isagenics.com. That's nmp.isagenix.com to find out more. Besides just using the products, there is an option to partner with me and the company to build your own business with no capital up front. You can do as little as pay for your products and as much as making a full-time income. I love these products and will use them the rest of my life. You can also message me if you have any questions. I've never been evaluated for PTSD. Some of my colleagues have and do, do have that. My colleagues, I mean physicians. So I know I have all the respect in the world for I, I'm what I would say. I was inside the wire. You were outside the wire. You know, you're out there in a convoy or whatever you're doing outside the wire. We did both foot, foot patrols and convoys. Foot patrols, convoys. I have all the respect in the world for that. But for those physicians that see a lot of trauma they can have that too i know that one of my colleagues had dreams after he came home that he was drowning in blood he would have a lot of that a lot of anxiety me personally when i was over there i spent a lot of those nights in the icu and it just felt like somebody was always well somebody is always trying to die on you yeah so you're always trying to run over there and do your best to kind of pull them back, whatever the problem might be. And so by the time I came home, I was pretty wound up. I probably, by the time I came home, I bet I had lost 30 pounds and I wouldn't sleep more than a few hours at a time. So I, I try to, you're trying to integrate back into the family after deployment is an awkward. What was your workload like in Afghanistan? Uh, well, you just work every day. I mean, so you basically take care of whoever's... 12, 16 hours a day or what was it? Oh, well, we would work. There were three of us in, in the uh, ICU. So we would round in the morning, every morning, try to, we'd have that kind of structure. And after you would round, you would do our procedures. And then we just care for our patients, whatever we need to do during the day. And then new trauma that came in, we'd take care of. And then you'd be... Then I would cover the ICU one night in three. Okay. So you would just work. So you were on a 24-hour shift once every three days, basically. Right. Okay. Right. But then you would come back after that night shift, and you would do the same. You repeat the same process, Mm -hmm. round, do procedures, 
eat a little breakfast, and then manage stuff, except you go uh, sleep for a little while, sleep for a couple hours, and you just wake up, Yeah. go back. That's all there was to do. Nothing else to do. Yeah. The only thing that wasn't patrolling or operational where I was at was just our prison gym that we made. So Prison gym? Prison gym. What does that mean? <laughs> it just means you just find what you can and, and you create a gym out of it, basically. <laughs> so that was our only Your break. Your ghetto gym. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was our only break in, in operations, uh, that and sleep. You know? And sleep, so, yeah. And how many like days that. in a row did you do that? Seven days a week. Yeah. Seven days a week for six months? Seven. Seven months. That's yeah. a long time. Yeah. There's really nothing to do on a day off anyway, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, sure. But you probably came back wound up. Yeah. Yeah. So you couldn't sleep more than a couple hours when you came back at a time. That's right. I would just, I always felt like there was always something that I needed to do, that I needed to attend to. You just, you were just wired that way. But there wasn't, a, so what would you do? You just kind of walk pace or what would well, you do? Well, I would get up, live, we lived on the base. And thank goodness the base gym is open yeah. 24-7. Uh-huh. And so I just go to the gym at all kinds of weird hours. And um, it just felt really out of sorts and out of place with the family. I would sleep for a couple hours. I would wake up at 2 or 3 in the morning or all kinds of weird times. I just go to the gym. and Because um, that's what I'd been doing over there. Whenever yeah. you're awake, you, would, you just go to the gym. Mm-hmm. and. It was kind of a good stress relief, and so I would just do the same thing. I was kind of living the same. How long did that last? I don't actually know. I can't recall. I, I do remember that uh, we got, I got some leave, and we went to Hawaii. We'd, we'd, we'd hop these planes to Travis Air Force Base, flies to Oahu like every day. And so when you're on leave, you can hop a plane. So we would fly space available and go over there and so after we got over to oahu that's when i finally started to unwind okay that for me that's always been our healing place that was our family is that when it thing. started as the healing place that's where it started that's when for the, me when yeah. the healing place getting started. in the, the, okay. the waters of the pacific yeah and so just getting in there and doing some you know water stuff we, we love to surf we love to snorkel and just being with the kids, that's when I finally started to sleep longer and kind of let go of things. And you got out in 2011 and mm-hmm. uh, you moved here. We awesome. separated. I think, well, you know, I, I came back and then I, we still had three and a half years, I guess, of active time as a staff physician with residents. That was great. The people taking care of the military people were awesome. We loved living on the base. We loved our training. What base was that again? Travis. 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 Uh, so just great people, okay. very eclectic group. I loved the training. I loved the people I worked with. It was a very positive experience for us. We considered staying, but I think like a lot of people that have older kids, it just, it's not, when your kids get into high school, they don't want to move anymore. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the break point for us. Our oldest was going into her sophomore year. And it was really good for her to come here. We had stability. We kind of finished up with the kids. Now that they're gone, I actually today just applied for Air Force Reserves. Oh, you did? I just did. Oh, wow. I just did this afternoon. So we'll see how that goes. I'm a little old now. I'm turning 54. So I'll need some uh, waivers. But um, So you, you have, uh, let's see, seven years? Active. I have, well, they would count, I believe they would, seven years active duty. I think they would count my inactive reserves or medical school, so I'd have 11. All right, well, good luck with that. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Thanks, Joe. My greatest pleasure. Thank you for listening. Please tell your friends and family so that we can bring more joy and awareness to those struggling with suicide ideation and the families who desperately need help after the loss of someone they love to suicide. Ghost Turd Stories donates 50% of its profits from the sale of our merchandise line and our content subscriptions to carefully selected families of veterans and first responders who have taken their own life. 
The other 50% is used to grow the company in order to bring greater awareness of the struggle many veterans and first responders have relating to mental health challenges and suicide ideation. The profits from the sale of our books will go to pay the veterans and first responders whose stories are showcased and to build the company resulting in more people helped and lifted out of the struggle. To help spread the word and be part of the Ghost Turd Stories movement, you can purchase merchandise at ghostturdstories.myshopify.com. To be part of a growing community and movement and to subscribe to additional content besides our podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash ghostturdstories. Thank you.